0: Load-shedding has a crippling impact on South Africa and its economy and ESCOM warned that South Africans may have to deal with load-shedding throughout the coming winter, as demand will significantly increase. I'm Ilse Salzwedel for Auta and I asked energy expert Chris Yelland for his views on the problems and possible solutions at ESCOM. Chris, in a nutshell, what got ESCOM into this mess?
1: The issues are quite long and um, I think have been covered quite extensively over the years. It starts off from you know the, the, the Madupi and Kusili fiasco uh, which really has brought ESCOM to its knees. Uh, and resulted in high cost and time overruns, which has resulted in a shortage of generation capacity. It then led on to the years of state capture, where there was significant mismanagement and maladministration and corruption uh, of the very worst kind, uh, you know, through the years uh, that we've seen in the last uh, six or seven years, the years of Malefi and Coco, and Minister Brown and Minister Gigaba, and, uh, and a whole host of uh, players uh, who really uh, brought ESKIM further uh, to its knees. Uh, and we're in a situation now uh, where ESKIM is struggling to recover financially, operationally, and environmentally. A whole lot of problems coming together uh, at a time when ESKIM's financial. Uh, resources uh, and constraints are high. Well, their constraints are high. Their resource, financial resources, are low. Uh, their ability to borrow money is extremely limited, and they rely relying on bailouts from government. That means a shareholder, uh, that means you and me, uh, are are, uh, are paying for the losses that S can incur. Um, so these these issues are legendary and uh, have been pretty well covered, I think, over the years. And I think now, as you rightly said, we've got to look uh, beyond the problems uh, to the solutions. And the good news is that there are solutions. They're not difficult solutions. They're not going to cost the country a lot of money. And they can be done quickly. When I talk about quickly in the short term, I'm talking about in two years.
0: What are the solutions and what role must government play in all of this?
1: So the answer really is... Uh, to bring in the customer of electricity as part of the solution. I'm not saying that the customer is the be-all and the end-all and the only solution, but at the moment the customer has not been part of the solution. And the customer can bring resources and money to bear quickly uh, if the right environment exists. And this is what government has got to do. They have got to uh, create enabling environment for self-generation, distributed generation and embedded generation across the entire economy and by that I'm talking about domestic customers of electricity, commercial, industrial, mining and agriculture. All of these customer groupings uh, can be part of the solution in delivering very significant quantities of new generation capacity to the grid quickly at no cost to the fiscus. But it does rely on this enabling environment. Government needs to, first of all, allow self-generation, embedded generation, and distributed generation through um, uh, uh, relaxing some of the regulatory and legal uh, 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 frameworks that are holding things back. Secondly, is actually got to facilitate it and, and, and play a role to make sure it goes beyond just allowing it to actually facilitating it. And this in, involves also the right messaging. Government needs to put out the message that this is not some an unpatriotic act that is going to damage the country. It is to be welcomed and encouraged, and just some simple messaging. Uh, to the public and to industry and business uh, to to encourage them and say that they are are urged to do this and the last thing of course is to go beyond just encouraging it to actually incentivizing it now incentivization does come at a cost it costs money to incentivize but the cost to incentivize is a small fraction Firstly, the capital cost of the equipment that's going to be borne by the customer. And secondly, the cost that we're currently incurring as an economy by not having the necessary generation capacity, which is constraining the entire economy. It's inhibiting economic growth. It's inhibiting employment. It's part of the reason why we have such high levels of unemployment because growth is so low. So what I'm really saying is that there's a lot that can be done that is easy to do. Government doesn't have to build anything. They don't have to finance anything. Uh, They just need to do a bit of paperwork.
0: You mentioned incentivizing. Does it, for instance, mean government gives you a subsidy for installing a solar geyser or what more can and should be done to resolve the electricity crisis?
1: There is an incentive through subsidization and one can subsidize things uh, and it comes at a cost, as I say, but if it makes the business case Uh, uh, You know, better, uh, and and actually creates that tipping point where the business case is now clear. uh, Then it can be well worth doing. I don't suggest uh, that there should be uh, subsidizations for extended periods or forever, Mm -hmm. but as a as a measure to get to that tipping point uh, at which it starts to happen, and then uh, economies of scale and the volume game starts coming into play, uh, which then avoids the need for such, in, uh, for such um, subsidization. Other, uh, other things to incentivize, for example, are tax breaks. There are already some tax uh, breaks, uh, certainly for businesses. So, for example, a business can expense the entire cost of a solar PV system in the year of commissioning, as opposed to depreciating it over, let's say, five or ten years. And that can uh, tip the scales in terms of making this business case clear. Uh, uh, now those things exist. Funnily enough, they're not well known, <laughs> and, um, and 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 even amongst the business people are not aware of these tax breaks. That's where I say messaging and communication can play such an important role. But these incentives that I'm talking, these tax breaks, are not available to domestic installations. In other words, to they're available to commercial businesses.
0: But if you make this same incentive available to domestic users, surely it will relieve a lot of the pressure on the power grid.
1: Exactly. If you add up the new generation capacity that can be brought to bear by domestic users, by commercial users, industrial users, mining users and farming and cultural users, uh, we could easily deliver 10,000 megawatts in uh, two years uh, with the right uh, mindset. Uh, and as I say, can be done quickly, at low cost, uh, and um, uh, without uh, – you know, it, it, government doesn't have to build anything. They don't have to procure anything. They don't have to go out to tender. They don't have to – you know, these long, complex procurement processes which then get subject to legal challenges, and just get bogged down in red tape. We need to cut out the red tape.
0: At a news conference earlier this week, ESCOM CEO Andre De Reiter called on government to cut the red tape and he also asked for PFMA exemptions to speed up maintenance procurements. Some may argue that this can't be done as it may open the door for more corruption. What is your view?
1: Yeah so there is a balance that is needed between speed and uh, ensuring that there is no maladministration and and corruption involved. Uh, I do believe it is true that in the past, sometimes crises have been almost manufactured in order to facilitate emergency procurements that bypass uh, some of the Treasury uh, sort of checks and balances in this, this whole process. But I think there is room... Uh, for, uh, you know, collaboration between National Treasury and ESCOM in the procurement of critical uh, components that are needed, for example, for maintenance, as indicated by the by director yesterday. Uh, so uh, it, it is, of course, about striking the right balance. Uh, we do not want to unlock the door to maladministration and corruption. But on the other hand, we don't want to create such complex, bureaucratic processes that it takes years to make a single procurement. And I'm afraid we are in that situation where it takes years to make a procurement. You just have to look, for example, at the risk mitigation IPP program. The president of South Africa was recalled from Egypt during stage six load shedding in in December 2019, or was it November 2019? Uh, And and, and the idea of the so-called emergency risk mitigation IPP program was uh, announced. And to this day, more than two years later, we haven't even placed the order.
0: Yes, Chris, that was my next question. Do you think there is political will to deal with this crisis?
1: The good news is that I think there are people within government, within the presidency, within Operation Vruntlela, that do understand the need to reduce red tape. And I don't don't mean by that we need to uh, have zero regulation. No, we do need regulation, but we do not need unnecessary regulation. So, every regulation needs to be carefully considered. Sometimes these regulations are about empire building within the regulator itself. And uh, one needs to relook at these regulations in, in terms of cutting out unnecessary red tape. And the good news is that the presidency has identified this. They've appointed the chairman of SASL, that is Mr. Sipo Nkosi, as uh, they brought him into the presidency and they said, you're in charge of cutting red tape and that's his role. So I think there is a recognition that this red red tape exists, that it can be cut. And in fact, people, a person, a very senior person, has been appointed to lead this process. Uh, Okay, that was only done, I think, uh, quite recently. Uh, But nevertheless, I think he's the right kind of person, uh, well-connected in business, in industry and in government. Uh, and I think he can make a difference. So I think these calls by uh, Andre de Reiter uh, to uh, look at solutions at quick wins that can bring new generation capacity onto the grid um, are uh, valid and can produce results uh, that are being sought. And I believe we can end load shedding in two years if we take the right approach.
0: There seems to be a hold-up in government in the form of the minister in charge of the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy. One also gets the sense that Minister Mantashe leans towards coal power ships and new nuclear as solutions for the crisis. Will it help if he is removed?
1: No, we haven't, and we haven't actually heard a lot from the minister himself. Uh, You know, Eskom have media briefings these days, every single day keeping us informed of what they're doing and what the problems are, etc. We don't have this level of communication from the DMRE. I'm very really reluctant to personalize this matter and to, to to personalize it to the person of the minister. I think, uh, if, first of all, it's unhelpful. And second of all, uh, I don't think it's a one-person problem. Uh, I, I think it is much wider than
0: that. What do you mean by a bigger problem?
1: I don't have a lot of confidence In the uh, public procurement processes to bring and deliver quick solutions to problems that need action right across the economy by the private sector. (laughs) You Mm. see, it's the private sector that is going to deliver these solutions at its own cost. And I don't see, uh, have confidence that. Government have the ability uh, to do this what government do have the ability to do if they have the right uh, Will is to create the enabling environment to uh, unlock the potential of the private sector to become part of the solution And that's what I'm advocating for
0: So are you saying government's role should then be restricted to enabling and regulating? Indeed
1: there is a role for regulation Uh, but not for unnecessary regulation Mm -hmm. that only serves to slow the process down to inhibit economic growth and to inhibit employment. And I can point to examples of this. So yesterday, for example, the CEO of Rand Merchant Bank issued a press release in which he called for the uh, relaxation of inhibiting localization requirements which in themselves these local uh, localization requirements may be well intended but if the result of that is uh, you know to uh, slow the process down which is inhibiting the entire economy and employment right across the economy in if you are slowing that process down in order to create a few jobs in a little manufacturing sector, then you are shooting yourself in the foot, and you should really look uh, to what is the big picture that you're trying to achieve. If one is trying to achieve significant growth in the economy, that's going to unlock major uh, employment. Uh, that you know, we shouldn't be trying to, we shouldn't allow that big picture to be stopped by small thinking goals, you know, to try and create localization in the manufacture of renewable energy components. You know, this is a very small part of the big economy, and, and unfortunately, if you introduce the wrong localization requirements, you're going to inhibit this new generation capacity from being delivered quickly because you cannot develop a local manufacturing industry In two years. It cannot be done. So uh, don't use that as a break uh, to inhibit uh, the rollout of renewable energy. Rather, treat that as a longer-term goal which we can work to whilst we're solving the immediate problem which is generation capacity constraints. And I must say it goes beyond that actually. It's also the delivery of the power from these new generation capacity to the user of electricity. In other words, The grid, the national grid and the distribution networks, which are controlled by Eskim, the grid company, and and also the the, the municipal distributors. So, it's all very well having sufficient generation capacity. But if you cannot deliver it reliably to the end-use customer uh, through the national grid and through the distribution networks, then you're still sitting with a problem, and and we are sitting with that problem. So, we have to address the generation side of things, but we also have to address the network side of things. distributed generation close to the customer, on the customer's premises or nearby the customer's premises, it means you don't even have to use the national grid to get the power to the customer because you're generating it close to where it's. That's the benefit of having distributed generation right across the country. At the moment, the majority of our generation is sited in Mpumalanga and some in Limpopo, in the north. And it requires this very extensive transmission and distribution network in order for that power to reach the customer. The closer you can build generation capacity to the customer, the less you need to invest in the
0: grid. And of course, with electricity being generated closer to the end users, costs will come down. Chris, what do you make of talks of deliberate sabotage that contributes to load shedding?
1: Yeah, my view is that... There have been instances that have been shown to be sabotage, but they are relatively few and far between. That's not saying that the sabotage doesn't exist. Uh, Maybe it does, but it's easy to use that as an excuse. And we have seen this before. Do you remember the famous bolts in the Stater incident at Kooberg, which was blamed on saboteurs? these unknown third-force saboteurs, the reality was completely different. Uh, it was due to uh, an ESCOM contractor, Roadtech, not following the right procedures, etc., etc. So to blame unnamed saboteurs is an easy diversionary tactic from the real problem at hand. Is ESCOM doing enough to protect its assets? In my opinion, no. It could do more. I think, you know, if you do not protect your assets, uh, they're going to be stolen. You have to look at the, the railways to see what is happening with uh, railway infrastructure. If you have to look at telecom uh, in the days of landlines, you know, the rampant theft of copper uh, cables, uh, uh, telephone cables, uh, eventually caused uh, telecom to abandon certain areas. They didn't protect their assets. And once you abandon them, within days, you will come back, there will be no lines left, no poles left, no junction boxes left, no nothing. And of course, that caused a major swing to wireless telecommunications. Uh, so you have to protect your assets. And if you don't, uh, they will be stolen um, or vandalized um, or used as scrap, uh, you, you name it. And and I, I do believe that uh, protection, asset protection should be taken a lot more seriously. And more money should be invested into it because the cost of cable theft goes well beyond the cost of replacing some copper cables. It's cause downtime for days on end, lost production. The, the, the cost to the economy is orders of magnitude greater than the cost of the cable itself. So I, I do believe that investing in asset protection is Is worth it. It's worth it to ESCOM, it's worth it to the economy, it's worth it to municipalities. Uh, Everybody's got to play their part in protecting their assets and if you don't, you'll be overrun.
0: Can we talk about aged infrastructure in municipalities and metros as well as the matter of huge outstanding municipal debt to ESCOM? Is it fair to always blame ESCOM for our electricity crisis? Now, look,
1: the problems of the distribution network are legendary, and in my view, the number of outages and the hours of outages experienced by customers resulting from uh, network problems at distribution level is significantly greater than the problems of loan shedding resulting from shortage of Eskom generation capacity. They are two separate issues. Yeah, they are both problems, but the, the distribution network problem results in significantly more lost hours, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, I, I don't think we give it enough tension. The state of municipal, and by the way, also Eskom distribution infrastructure, is not good. Um, there has been underinvestment for many years. It's it's easy to cut, you know, investment in the distribution network. If the wheels don't come off immediately, so then you get used to. You think that it's normal to spend this lower amount, uh, but it's not normal. You need to benchmark yourself, and you need to, with the, you know, with other uh, succeeding distributors, and you need to invest this money every single year. You don't wait. 10 years or 15 years before the wheels start to wobble and then you think you've got to do catch up with maintenance because you can't afford to catch it up all at once. In South Africa, both at generation level and at distribution level and, and at transmission level, we tend to leave it for years and then all of a sudden we've got to do a whole lot of things simultaneously. What we should be doing is building new generation capacity each and every year. Not like we did for 20 years, didn't build a new power station. That is asking for trouble. We need to invest continuously. And the same applies to distribution and a, a, a transmission infrastructure. It's a constant need to maintain, invest, and refurbish. And if you don't do that, it comes to catch you in the end. Uh, so maintenance and refurbishment uh, backlog in uh, electricity distribution network is a huge problem and we experience it daily uh, and it's a bigger problem than ESCOM uh, generation capacity shortages, although the generation capacity shortages seem to be catching up lately.
0: My last question, there has been lots of talk about ESCOM's unbundling. How will this help solve the energy crisis? Not in the
1: short term. But it is very necessary in the long term because uh, the current uh, structure of, of Eskom, for example, and by the way, this restructuring goes beyond just Eskom; it goes to the whole electricity supply industry, including the electricity distribution industry. Uh, the, 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 but focusing here first of all on Eskom, Eskom is currently structured as it was set up about a hundred years ago. Uh, the world has significantly changed uh, technologically, financially, and just the way in which things are run, uh, you know, in terms of best practice. ASKIM uh, is still running as a utility that was set up 90 years ago, uh, and it is something of a dinosaur in the modern world in, in electricity uh, generation, transmission, and distribution. Uh, and the restructuring of ESKIM, in my view, is absolutely essential. And you know, if I want to just describe it in a few steps, the first step which is happening already is the separation of ESKIM into three operating subsidiary companies, generation, transmission and distribution. This is just a first step. The next step is to create a national grid company and take it out of ESCOM and create a, a separate independent uh, transmission grid company, a state-owned company. It's a monopoly. Uh, and uh, you see, if you look at Eskom's business at the moment, there are three businesses: generation, transmission, and distribution. They've now been separated business-wise into ring-fenced uh, businesses. Uh, and two of those businesses are what I call dogs. Uh, that is generation and distribution. Generation is a lousy business because it, it employs massive amounts of capital. The power plant are all dominated by coal. Uh, they are old and reaching end of life, and they're performing very, very badly. So that business uses a lot of money and capital, and it's performing very badly. It's, it's a bad, toxic business at the moment. Then you have distribution. is a bad, toxic business uh, because of this back- backlog, and again, uh, inadequate investment, and, uh, and not only that, aging infrastructure, all of those things. But in addition, it employs a lot of people, and it also employs a lot of assets, uh, land and transmission lines and transformers, etc., etc., Uh, and they can't collect their money from the customers. I'm talking about the the municipalities are more than 50% of ESCIM distribution's revenue. Many of them are not paying. This is a lousy business, okay? The grid company is a good business. It employs very low capital and very few people, and it's operating well, relatively speaking, to the other two businesses. Yet, when you lump these three businesses together, Escom has got a terrible credit rating. It's financial constraints. So as a whole company, it's performing. It's it's it, it's it's a bad business. The good business is dominated by these two bad businesses, and this means it can't borrow and it can't invest properly in the grid. The answer is to remove the good business from the toxic business. Step one, that is the unbundling of Escom Transmission out of Escom to create a good credit-worthy business that allows access to the grid on level playing fields in a non-discriminatory way and it enables new generation capacity coming into the generation sector, which, as I said, is a toxic business as it stands. So, how to do it? You need to sell these toxic assets to people that know how to use them and run them and operate them, in my opinion. Uh, and that will uh, generate significant money to pay back this debt and the new generation camp, uh, entities then can operate to, uh, be refinanced uh, on a clean balance sheet uh, because uh, they, you know, the government has actually now can divest itself of this huge amount of debt that is hanging around Eskom's neck so uh, the new owners then recapitalize the business operated in a new competitive environment uh, where a new generation entrants are encouraged and welcomed through this independent grid company. If the grid company is owned by the same company that owns Eskom generators, they inhibit access to the grid because every new entrant to the grid is seen as a competitor you need to separate the grid, put it into independent hands, and then this enables a competitive generation sector. So That is step two. Step one is to create an independent grid company. Step two is to create a diversified, competitive generation sector with an electricity market. Okay. And the third step is to do something about the distribution sector, and that's been long talked about. It was even started about 20 years ago. Uh, to restructure the electricity distribution industry uh, and, and rationalize it. At the moment, there are about 150 or more electricity distributors, municipal distributors that are unviable, that have, are undercapitalized, that have poor management, that's highly politicized, uh, and, and they cannot attract the right level of skills, the right level of capital, they don't have the right credit ratings, they don't have the right management. Uh, So the answer is to rationalize these into a small number of financially viable regional electricity distributors and run them as a business. List them on the stock exchange if necessary to to, uh, raise capital and run them as proper businesses. And uh, this has long been talked about and was planned some years ago. There was even a company set up called EDI Holdings. Uh, electricity distribution industry, restructuring, the company responsible for this restructuring, it never got very far because the municipalities didn't want to give up what they saw as a revenue stream uh, and that cross-subsidized some of the other municipal activities. So for all the wrong reasons, the municipalities hang on to this dysfunctional, uh, issue a lot of it i think is rent seeking by politicians it gives them power uh, to have a biz- you know to have the you know, the municipal uh, businesses uh, is their source of power because it's a these are grassroots municipalities and um, and and to lose these to to private businesses would for them be a loss of connection to the mm. electorate uh, to the voter but in the end Uh, You you know, the the customer of electricity suffers the consequences of having poorly managed, poorly uh, uh, financed, um, uh, poorly operated electricity distribution industry that is performing badly. And we are suffering the consequences of that in the economy. You only have to speak to businesses in the municipal sector. Dairies and small factories and businesses that rely on a stable supply of electricity They cannot do business in certain municipalities, and so they they, they shut their businesses down. Maybe they move into the city where things are a little bit more under control, but it's bad for the economy, it's bad for jobs, it's bad for everybody.
0: That was Chris Yelland, who explained the many problems faced by ESCOM. He also discussed possible solutions to the crisis. I am Ilse Saltsvedel, and this podcast is brought to you by the organization Undoing Tax Abuse. If you like AUTA's work, please consider donating. Simply click on the Join Now button on auta.co.za. Your contribution is also tax deductible.